Hey guys, this is our weekly podcast by Cornerstone Church of Ione. We're so glad that you decided to join. We are a church family passionate about seeing people worship Jesus, grow in their faith, and serve those around them. If you would like to learn more about Cornerstone, please visit us at cornerstoneione.org, or you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram. All right, well, um, as was said in the previous service, uh, we did have a harvest party last night, and um, usually I kind of take on making sure the harvest party happens. This time, uh, Jessica had offered to uh, take that, and not only did she do the harvest party, she did it like 18 times better than I ever did. And uh, there is something, I mean, it's the elephant in the room for us that we're going to have to address, um, and that's this cakewalk scenario we got ourselves into. Um, for those of you who weren't there, uh, we, had, we literally had kids crying because they didn't get a cake, and that's okay. But we had adults nearly in tears that they weren't getting a cake. I told Tom, I was sitting next to Tom, and, uh, and I was watching this happen. And, uh, and the, way, the way that worked is we made an announcement. The way we would signal to the congregation that we are going to be doing a cakewalk is the, is the same bell we actually ring in between services, right? And so um, what would happen, I watched people drop food and sprints for this cakewalk. And I looked at Tom after like probably eight of these things. And I said, Tom, I think that my pastoral care is just going to, I'm just going to buy cakes because there's something about them. People love this stuff. And um, so we agreed we were going to have to have some more cakewalks in the future. But uh, not, not only did she plan all that stuff, she did way better than I think that it's ever been in a lot of ways. And then also there was this cleanup crew. I mean, this setup crew that was incredible. Uh, they, they showed up, they did work, we got things set up, and then there was an actual cleanup crew that committed and came through. I know, I don't know how that worked, but there, there was somebody that came up to me and said, hey, um, what are we doing tonight and what are we doing tomorrow? And I'm thinking like, everything's tonight. We're not going to do it tomorrow. Like, I don't want to come back tomorrow. And um, the event got over at 8. By 8.34, uh, my dad and I had shut the lights off. We were in the car driving at 8.34. It was incredible. So um, if you see Jessica, every time I make an announcement, trying to say something nice about her, she's gone. But uh, uh, tell her thank you. Uh, give her a pat on the back. She did a really, really, really good job. And that was a great, that was a great event. In fact, um, the, that's, that's a good idea. Let's do another harvest party next year. Um, the, one of the things that she did that I was, uh, that I was uneasy about was... Uh, we always have this costume contest, right? And there's like, you know, 18 kids that all did their best. And we have like one like $8 gift card to Walmart that we got to give it to, right? And so what she did, she split it up in the categories. I'm like, that's brilliant. Split that up in the categories. There was like a young kids and then there were, you know, like six and under. And then there's like seven to uh, 11. And then there was uh, 12 and up or something like that, some category where it ended up being, it was open for adult costumes. And I told her I was a little uneasy with that because I don't admire that. But, uh, and then on top of that, she brought up a, a couples or a group costume contest. And I'm like, this is getting out of control. And, but of course we didn't. And so then uh, I'm there at the event. My family shows up and I see my kids in their costume. And I almost didn't recognize Emily. She was in an old lady costume. And she was doing like the like I can barely walk thing and everything. Uh, and... Um, and I was like, oh my goodness, Emily dressed up in a costume, you know, that little sparkler, you know, you know, 
And then, and then she holds up a, a beard and glasses for me so I can be the old man next to her. And uh, there were several jokes that happened throughout the night, but one of them, somebody came up to me and said, hey, what are you supposed to be, me? <laughs> Yeah, I was, I was fine with everything until I looked down and we had the same shoes on. So we both go to Walmart, 1999, that part I didn't like, but the rest I was okay with. So that's one of our elders, Tom, and <laughs> so anyways, good time. Thanks for showing up. Thanks for all the volunteers that made that work. Uh, it was good to see some new faces there at that event and all that stuff. We were setting up lights and a guy stopped by there because uh, CJ had got the inflatable thing out there and got it all poking up in the sky. And this guy stopped and he comes over and we had known each other from soccer stuff. He goes, hey, you having a harvest party here? I was like, yeah, go ahead and swing by. And then we talked a little bit more and sure enough, a couple people that just kind of like funneled in and stuff and that. So as far as our, our hope of having it more localized in own, I think we saw the effects of that and that, that'll be cool. So thanks for everybody that helped helped out with that. Um, with that, we, we, we are new. Uh, oh, hold on, let's get that gone. Uh, <laughs> we are doing a new series through the book of Acts. We've been totally pumped about it. I've been learning a ton as I study it myself. And uh, so I've been really excited. We are in chapter three. Uh, we're going to be in verses 11 through 21, just as uh, Jack had read. And so if you could start turning there, that would be great to give you a little backup of where we're at. We're too far along to do a big summary to get us to where we're at. But what we can do is talk a little bit about last week. Last week, we have the apostles or Peter and John going to the temple. As was pretty uh, uh, custom at that time. They would gather all together there, not because they thought that that the presence of God had chosen to dwell there necessarily uh, anymore uh, because we know that uh, the presence of the curtain was torn and that th the new covenant was changing. But anyways, old habits die hard and there was some good of them being there. But they would come in and they would all funnel in through these gates. Uh, there was probably one primary gate, but this specific gate was called uh, the Beautiful Gate or Gate Beautiful. And um, at this gate, there was a person who could not walk from birth. Everybody knew him. Uh, in the community, uh, so because he was there all the time, and his friends would come and they would carry him there and set him at the gate so that he could beg for money. He wanted coins. In fact, his uh, disability at that time had made it so that um, he, there was really no way for him to earn money well. There were no government assistant programs for him. Uh, he would come to the gate and he would rely on the generosity of the Jews and the Christians. Uh, in order to make it day to day. And so he was there. And as people are going by, we won't go into too much detail, but essentially uh, Peter and John are there. They go up to him. They say, look at me. And they say, I don't have the money you're looking for. I don't have the silver. I don't have the gold, but I will give you what I have. And he heals that person. And it says that strength was given to him. So muscles built, tendons formed, a bone strengthened all in that moment so that not only did he stand, but he, he walked, and not only did he walk, but he ran, and not only did he run, but he leaped. That's what this miracle looked like. To a man that everybody in that community knew could not do that. This was not sorcery. This was not a surgery with a little bit of recovery. This was not somebody faking in order to be famous. God used the apostles to heal a person. Why? Well, we could easily go to what commonly is the purpose for this, affirming that what comes next is from God. 
The miracle is from God. What comes next is from God. And then the apostles followed that pattern. And so oftentimes we'd see Peter or one of the apostles preach or teach after a miracle. Let's pray. Father, as we dive into this text this morning, God, we pray that you are glorified, that you are worshipped, that any, any fame is given to you, any knowledge is of you, and that our songs we sing, whether a cappella or with instrument, that in the end, it's about glorifying and praising and making much of you, the one who deserves this glory and this praise. You are God and we are not. You are creator and we are creation. God, we thank you for that. I pray that as we study your word, that our hearts would be softened. And in Jesus Christ's name, amen. All right, so again, if you have your Bibles, chapter 3, 11 through 21, we're going to go through 11 and 12 right now. Just take a look at those first couple verses. While he clung to Peter, that would be the person that has been healed, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. So a couple things here. It says that he clung to Peter and John. Some, the, we'll take a pause. Some of you guys will notice that I accidentally, I believe I did the ESV instead of the NLT this morning, so I apologize for that. Uh, hopefully that makes things a little clearer. So in he, verse 11, it says, while he clung to Peter and John. And so as we read things, typically we picture things. And as we picture things, that becomes what we believe the text is doing, right? So just to clarify this point, I think it's important that as he clung to Peter and John, some of us look at that clung word and we think maybe he is clinging to him because the man, I mean, for, for, you know, he couldn't walk. And so now he can walk and he's clinging. His legs are now tired and he needs to hang on so he doesn't collapse again. And we believe that that is not the case. We believe that this clinging to Peter and John is affection and gratitude and thanksgiving for what has happened. And also, after he was healed, he goes in uh, towards the temple, and we believe that his intention is that he is now going to go in, and he's going to worship the God that he knows has healed him through these apostles. And things are, seem to be squared away with this man. But he's clinging to Peter and John. And so imagine now the crowd hears what's going on, and there's the man that can never walk, and now he walks as a miracle. If I saw that, I would be there. If somebody said, hey, down on Main Street, this person who we all knew had uh, this um, medical issue that caused him not to be able to be mobile in some way. And now he can, he's walking, he's right down the road. I would hustle myself down, maybe on my electric bike, go down there and be able to see what's going on. Because it'd just be miraculous. And so as they show up, they see this man clinging to Peter and John. And so maybe even almost naturally, they begin to uh, gather and look upon Peter and John. And it says that when Peter saw this, he addressed the people, and so this would be on Solomon's portico, which could just, I mean, in our, in our minds, it's like a large porch or patio. It goes on to say what Peter said. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered and denied in the presence of Pilate, when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. 
in his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is strong, the faith that is through Jesus has given this man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that this that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. In the beginning, we see him addressing, why do you stare at us like this? Why, uh, why do you wonder at this? Now this, why do you stare at us? Why do you wonder? It's not, a, it's not like they have a question or that there's confusion. That word is connected to marvel. In fact, in Matthew chapter 8, when uh, the, uh, there's people in a boat, Jesus sleeping somewhere maybe in the bottom of the boat, it's going um, across this water and a storm comes. And, and the storm is so bad that the people on board the boat think we're going to die. And Jesus is still sleeping in the bottom of the boat. So they go and they wake Jesus and Jesus comes up and the storm is thrashing about. And he says, be still and everything stops. The, 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 the storm is calmed. And these people say, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. And what does it say that those people in that moment experienced? In verse 27 it says, the men were amazed. That same word amazed, the same word used in this. They were amazed at what happened. But who are they looking at? Peter and John. And there's a man clinging to him. It's an, it's an interesting question. Right? Why are you amazed? Or why do you wonder? Or why do you have this marvel at us? Uh, one, one commentator compared it um, as if a truck was driving. And we have maybe seen this. You ever drive down the road and there's this big truck or um, like a semi-truck or something carrying a large piece of equipment and it's going underneath an overpass and you're like, I don't know if it's going to make it. I don't know if it's going to make it. And then it barely does. Well, we, there are times where it doesn't work out like that. It doesn't. And so this commentator goes on to say it's like a truck that's trying to go underneath an overpass and it gets stuck. And the police officer shows up and walks up to the truck driver and says, did you get your truck stuck? You know, I don't know how the story ends, but you know, there's probably some other words exchanged and all that. But the reason why that is ridiculous is because, well, of course, right? Of course my truck is stuck. Well, of course they're amazed. Like, why are you amazed? You know why I'm amazed. The person who couldn't walk can now walk. And not only that, it's not that he's stumbling around like as if there had been a doctor that had showed up and popped something back into joint and now they're sore and limping around. He's, he's walking, running, leaping. That's what they're marveling at. He says, why do you, why do you stare at us? As though, and this is what he's addressing, as though by our own power, so by Peter and John, there's like, by our power, our piety, you're looking at us like we did it. And of course, he's going to go on to explain that it's not him, and we all know that because we're in hindsight and we're sitting in church today. But that's not, uh, that wouldn't in that context be all that surprising, right? Because we all, to some degree, uh, even those of us who say, oh, I don't care about celebrity fame, I don't care about any celebrities, I don't even know who they are, they're just people like me. Uh, there's something about the celebrity thing that gets us excited. In fact, I believe that that is part of what's being addressed. There's this miracle done and people show up. There's even times where people try to buy the power to heal. And it's Peter and John. And they're going to take a mirror and take that amazement and that marvel and they're going to reflect it to where it belongs, which is God. But 
they, these people that showed up have this twinkle in their eye looking at Peter and John with that celebrity look. Um, crazy things are done with people who are fascinated over celebrities. There's a, there's a person uh, named Toby Sheldon. Uh, he spent over $100,000 to look like Justin Bieber. So, yeah. Can you imagine spending 100, 000, over $100,000 to try to look like somebody else? Um, I, I, there's, there's plenty of stories and examples for the sake of time. We're not going to go over any, but you can think of plenty of times where maybe even you've seen somebody that has celebrity status, even maybe somebody you don't even like. Somebody you thought, well, if in, in person I'd seen them, I wouldn't even care. But yet you see that person and you're like sneaking shots, you know? You're going over, you're walking closely, just like listening to what they're saying, pretending like you've got some, something else to be doing. There's something drawn about like this fame. And the apostles are going to combat that throughout Acts. Because obviously there's going to be people that want to follow them instead of God. And they're going to constantly be shoving that off. So they go on to explain, if not then by you, then by who would be the natural question. And then they go on to give a sermon about who did the healing. And it was the God of Abraham, Isaac, uh, Jacob, God of our fathers. In fact, it was that God, it was the same God that glorified Jesus, the Messiah. The one that you delivered to Pilate. You denied him in the presence of Pilate. You were offered Jesus back, but instead you asked for the murderer. You killed, and this is the words uh, that Peter used, the author of life. It wasn't just a good man. It wasn't just uh, merely a prophet. It wasn't a moral teacher. The author of life. Let's pause there just for a second. Keep in mind this context. It's easy for me to say that here, right? I could even say, hey, we participated in some way in crucifying the author of life. And nobody has a pitchfork right now. But Peter and John right now, in this political environment, as well as that Jesus had been crucified and had raised from the dead and ascended into heaven, and then telling those people that put him to death, you killed the Messiah, the author of life, the one that God said, this is my son, this is the one whom I have promised that will fulfill all the Old Testament and redeem mankind from all eternity into my presence again for those who place their faith in the work of him on the cross. You killed him. You killed him and God raised him back to life. It was by his name that this man was made strong. They give complete credit to God, which is where it should be. If you're a Bible nerd, you may, you may uh, think, like, well, interesting, because uh, in Peter's first sermon, he used a lot of Scripture, and I appreciate that, because uh, using the Old Testament and New Testament sermons is wonderful. And uh, I would argue that in this sermon, there is plenty of Old Testament references that these people that he's speaking to would have got. This is the Isaiah 53 Messiah that he is talking about here, saying we crucified him and that he was the one. And at this point, there's already the swirlings around about, was he the Messiah? He raised from the dead. His tomb is empty. He showed himself to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. And then now he ascended to heaven in a place of authority, and I'm the one that killed him? In fact, in sermon number one, he says, you killed him. And he wasn't crucified upside down yet. And then in sermon number two, he says, you killed him. He's not crucified upside down yet. Murders 
of people in authority have impact on the culture around them. Whether it creates um, a vigil anti-group or another group that doesn't like to admit that that person had some level of authority. In fact, there are people in, in our history that I believe that we might, with some of these I'm about to list, know who these people are because we remember them. Although there's, there's people dying every single day around our world and we don't know who they are, but there's certain ones we do. If I said July 2nd, 1881, does anybody know who died then? That's a tough one. Close. James Garfield. <laughs> James Garfield. What if I said November 22nd, 1963? Kennedy. There are people that say, I remember where I was when that happened. I remember thinking, uh, there will probably never be an event in my life that has, uh, has such popular culture around it that when something happens, it will be so shocking to me that I'll remember where I was. And then September 11th, 2001 happened. And I remember where I was. Almost 3,000 people died there. But yet in that time, way more than 3,000 people have died since then. But that event, I remember. In fact, our country has promised to remember that. And I think that the reasons are that it just had this huge impact. Shocking to our senses. There was an authority involved that sometimes we can't even wrap our minds around. But what's interesting is even with JFK, there was a police officer that died that same day by that same gun, by the same person. And nobody remembers his name. There's a reason. Because John F. Kennedy had a, power, had a place of authority. There was, there was popularity around him. People knew him. He was an important person. What I'm about to say it has a potential to rub people the wrong way, but I believe that you can't deny it's true. None of those events, even if compiled together, compare nothing to the murder of the prince of life himself. There's something so much more about that. It's innumerable. We can't even talk about all the various ways that it matters so much more that Jesus Christ died, why he died, how he died. And, he, and the point that Peter makes is this man, fully God, fully man, came to be the Messiah, to save people from the eternal torments of hell, which we acknowledge we deserve, was murdered by us. He came to save and we put him to death. That's a courageous preacher preaching the truth there in front of people who could absolutely carry him off and crucify him as well. So then the natural question, last uh, in chapter 2, we see a sermon from Peter. They actually asked. It was documented. It was Luke uh, recorded that they asked, what do we do now then? 
If that's true, what do we do now? In this, it doesn't show that the question was even asked. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. But he gives this similar answer. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, he says, says, Each one of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. That's what it is. Turn away from that, whatever it is that you are facing, and turn to God for the forgiveness of your sins. In our section of text, verse 19 goes on. And it says, Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that He may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets long ago. He gets back to the same thing again. Repent. Now, last time Peter preached, we did talk about repentance, but we focused on other things also. I want to look at this repentance thing. Repent and turn back to God. And then it says that, that, that. That your sins may be blotted out. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And that He may send Christ. Repent is in there. Repent is to change one's mind or purpose, to change the inner man, the inner person, particularly with reference to the acceptance of the will of God. This is changing your mind the way you think, changing the core of who you are, how you operate. Change it from one thing to the will of God. Whatever the one thing is, whatever the other truths, lowercase t, you are facing, you turn away from that to the one truth, capital T. That's Christian repentance. Turn away from those things. The idea of turning away from the plethora of truths, which come in various, comes in every size, color, taste, location, package, weight, smell, and look, flies in the face of the main thrust of our culture. This idea of turning away from these truths out there into one singular truth flies in the face of the main thrust of our culture, which is that there's all sorts of truths out there. And these truths aren't even truths, but you get to pick which truth is true. And then you adopt that, and then that's your truth, which is absolutely true for you, but not true for me. Because really, all truth is kind of subjective, except for the truth that everybody's truth is your truth. <laughs> Let me give you an example of a truth that we see people live by. And uh, this, is, this is a friend of mine. Um, I blotted out all the information so that you don't know who this person is. Not that you would ever know him anyways. But this is real life stuff. Um, this is obviously on Facebook. It says, pay close attention to the people who don't clap for you when you're winning. People may not always tell you how they feel, but they will definitely show you. Don't get upset, just take notes and let your circle decrease in size, but increase in value. 100. Your peace always comes first. One love. Stay blessed. Winning. Come on. That, this person lives in this truth. And this is what he's saying. He's like, pay close attention to the people who don't clap for you. The ones who don't stroke you. The one who, when you do something great and people are clapping, you're like, who's not? Who's not right now? And then... 
you're taking notes. Oh, Billy, yeah, well, guess what? You're not coming to my birthday next year. Whatever. <laughs> you're booting people out who don't clap for you, so then what? You can gather people around because you can, you can increase in value right there. You decrease the size, but you increase in value. 100. <laughs> Dude, this is bonkers. This is like this. And I can understand in a tough time, you know, you post something, and then you look back and you're like, wow, we're deleting that. This is how this person operates. And what this person does and what he's communicating here is actually how he operates. He gathers around the people that will praise and worship him. He wants to be worshipped. He wants to be his own God. What his truth is, is I'm number one. There's one love. There's not multiple loves. We're not loving enemies around here. We're not loving our neighbors around here. We're not sacrificing ourselves for anybody. There's one love, and that love is me. I was hoping that this was pointing towards God when I first saw it. Then after reading, I realized it doesn't. He's saying he's number one. This is a truth that he can post on Facebook, thumbs up, hearts. It's a truth that people live by. And, and what I think is countercultural, goes against the current of our culture, is that this is what you and I repent of. If we live by that, we repent of this. All right. Staying in a relationship for your kids is one of the worst decisions you can ever make. Not only is it unfair to you, it's unfair to your kids. A relationship marriage without true love is a waste of time. Life is too short to put on a fake show for people. We all deserve to feel loved and be loved. Have the courage to love yourself and surround yourself with people that truly... Oh yeah, have courage to love yourself and then surround yourself with people who love and worship you. This sounds so foolish. This... And, so I feel like I'm missing it a little bit because my point is that, that th I believe that's how the majority of our world lives. Maybe when it's written down, we can be like, oh, that's weird. I'd never say that. But you live like it. Let's keep reading. Uh, yeah, so we're, we're going to go back to like to have courage to love yourself and bring people around you that worship you. Uh, don't ever make someone a priority when they only make you their option. I don't treat somebody like a queen or king when they only treat you like a joker. The word love, in this part that's about to come up, is the only part I actually kind of agree with. The word love is thrown around so freely these days. Love is a verb and an action word. And if you ain't feeling it or seeing it, it's time to bounce. <laughs> love yourself first and remove yourself from fake love 100. <laughs> What I'm trying to combat against is that we can, we can think this is just absolutely ridiculous. I would not be surprised, and I don't know, but if this seeps into my own life at times, that this kind of false truth, false even gospel, if you will, begins to seep into my life. But as we recognize that, or loving brothers and sisters confront that, what Christians do with this truth is we repent of it and we turn away from it. Because what we repent of is this lowercase t truth, which is not a truth at all, and turn to the one capital T truth and submit to it. But what if it hurts when other people don't clap for us? It doesn't matter because we trust and we believe this. I was going to read Romans 3. Yeah, we're going to read it. We need it. We need it for our souls right now. This is Romans chapter 3, verse 23 through 26. For there is no distinction 
For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Not fall short of the glory of your mom. Or fall short of the glory of your dad or your friend or your spouse. Of God, right? Author of life. We have fallen short of that. We all have sinned against that God. I've said this before. I think one of our problems is we don't think God gets angry. We picture God like a grandpa that's, oh, they did it again. Oh, well. The God, if God said, oh, well, he wouldn't have came to earth in the form of Jesus and then be crucified on the cross for those sins in verse 23 that they're talking about. All of sin and fall short of the glory of God and are justified, justified by, his, by his grace as a gift to the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be the receiver, to be received by faith. This was to show that God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of those who has faith in Jesus. The only part that's talking about us is that we've sinned. The rest is about how God saved us. Bro, be yourself. Now, I know this one's like a goofy picture or whatever, but think about how deep these roots are in our life. Be you. This is one of my faves here. Being yourself is the prettiest thing a person can be. This is our culture teaches us these things where when we read the Bible, we're like ourselves without Jesus is a sinner that deserves hell. Not just be yourself because you're good enough. And this stuff is plastered in our culture. Obviously I yank these off of Facebook real quick, but it doesn't matter where you go or who you talk to. You get advice. You're having, you're struggling in a marriage, struggling in a relationship, struggling with your kids, struggling with a job, struggling with a boss. All the advice that comes through, there's this secular torrent of just be yourself, your truth. You deserve this. You deserve to be the center of everything. Worship yourself. Why does Peter keep preaching? You need to turn away from whatever it is and turn to God. Same issue in the Old Testament. Repent and turn back to me or I'm going to discipline you. That's what God says. People are like, you would discipline us. And then the Bible says God disciplines the ones he loves. Peter's, Peter is preaching about repenting, turning away from these things in our life like self-worship. Like, I'm not going to love anybody unless they love me. I'm not going to love my neighbor. I'm not going to love my enemy. I'm not going to feed my enemy. I'm not going to clothe my enemy. I'm not going to visit those in prison or in jail. I'm not going to sacrifice myself for anybody else. I'm not going to pour myself out for the kingdom. I'm not going to take up my cross. I don't deserve to carry a cross. <laughs> That is the current that we're in. Because that is the world we're in, right? The Bible calls us to go against that. And that's difficult. What happens, I believe, is that there are times where we get tired or fatigued. We need some energy boost, some refreshing or something, right? And we slow down. And what we find is we get carried in that current a little bit. These things that we just laughed at as ridiculous nonsense we end up seeing little glimpses and shadows and pieces and portions in our life. And as brothers and sisters in Christ confront those things, and we see those things, or the Holy Spirit convicts our heart of those things, what do we do? We repent of them. 
And what do we turn to? If we're going to change and turn ourselves, our inner person towards something that's towards God. It's a man problem. It's a human problem. We see it thousands of years ago. And we see it today sitting in this room right here. You see it today preaching from the front right now. The struggle of constantly having to repent from things and turn to God. I believe that when the Bible talks about a brother wandering or a sister wandering or being caught in sin or ensnared in whatever, it's getting caught in this current. I'm not blaming the current. It's us. But illustratively, it's the current. We're getting caught in what the world's teaching us about truth. And it's wrong. And the Bible constantly, these prophets, God sends prophets constantly in the Old Testament to tell these people, stop doing what your culture is doing. Repent of it and turn to me. What is Peter preaching about? Repentance. Turning to God, turning to God, turning to God. Old Testament, turning to God, turning to God. And what that looks like in the New Covenant is placing your faith in Jesus Christ. Not yourself, not in the applause of the friends around us, not in the culture, not in our job, not in our family. Our faith and hope is in Christ alone. That what He has done on the cross, that He is the one to get the job done, that that substitutionary atonement, penal substitutionary atonement is a real thing. It was designed by God to be able to redeem people back to Himself. We don't deserve any of that. In fact, I've said this a thousand times. I'll say it till probably die. Our best works on our best day, if there are attempts to earn salvation, are like filthy rags to the Lord. It will not work. Like, well, Brian, you say I'm hopeless. Then I'm like, exactly. Finally get it. You are hopeless. You need a Savior. The Old Testament says you're hopeless. You need a Savior. And it needs to be done justly because God is just. Well, I guess I deserve death and destruction and hell. And then, because God so loved, He came and took our place and absorbed our penalty, taking care of sin and wrath, justifying men and women. And that that's applied into us, placing our faith in Christ alone. That's what we turn to. His Word is what we turn to. In the face of all of this garbage that will continue to come, if you are young and you're having kids, I believe it's going to be even worse for them. But when I was talking about that time in the current where you feel weak and fatigued and the current begins to drag you a bit, in verse 20 there's something that many sermons, commentators, many of them don't address. That's verse 20. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. I looked at that word refreshing because I want to make sure I was right, that it meant what I thought it meant. In fact, it does. But more literally, it's to breathe easy again. To be revived with fresh air. I try to take God's promises very seriously. And this isn't the only place we see it. We'll hit it again. But upon repenting and turning to God, there are times of refreshing that may come from the presence of the Lord. I think that's another thing our world is clawing to get, and they're clawing in all the wrong places. You want, we are to repent and turn away, and in that, in the battle to. Pursue Christ and be obedient. The Bible talks about, we look at Romans chapter 7, and we see it very clearly, this battle to do what's right, and even being confused about why we don't do what's right when we want to do what's right. 
Those things will happen. And there's many things we can talk about how we get through those. One thing, one portion of it, I'm not saying this is all of it, but one thing that I believe is, is uh, promised in Scripture over and over and over again is what we see right here in verse 20. And one promise is enough. And that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And I think you can trust in that. So while the primary point of this sermon from Peter, because where we do exegesis, not eisegesis, is that followers of Jesus, that we need to repent. We need to repent. We need to turn to God. And that's what he keeps telling these people over and over and over again. So in sermons at Cornerstone, you'll constantly be hearing about turning to God, turning to God, trusting in Jesus Christ alone, trusting in Jesus Christ alone. This is the ultimate authority, the ultimate uh, word that we stand upon as a compass for our life is in Scripture here. And in that, there's this little piece that I don't want us to lose, and that is that in the times of seeing how your life is a disaster and, you're, and you, you realize I'm caught in the current of this world and I'm not submitting to Scripture, I need to repent and turn to God and put myself in submission to His Word. That process is hard and difficult and changes your life and requires a lot of humility. But in there, there are these times of refreshing that several times God's Word takes a moment to note that those are there. So I think we can trust in those. Let's pray. Father, as we spent some time studying um, Your Word, looking at... uh, what we would call Peter's second sermon here. We see again and again and again this call to repentance, turning away from self-worship, turning away from self-gratification, turning away from making us the highest priority in our life, and turning to you and your truth and acknowledging that you are the way, truth, and light, and nothing, nobody comes to the Father except through Jesus. And we submit to that. One thing that's hard not to see in light of this text is that therein lies part of the importance for your church family here. That repentance, turning away from sin, battling sin, holding each other accountable, and yet also seeing a brother entangled or ensnared and walking with them out of things. We need this family for that. God, I pray that we would be a people that ultimately submit to your word and stand upon your scripture as the single source of the capital T truth. We love you, and in Jesus Christ's name. Thank you for listening to this podcast by Cornerstone Church of Ione. We hope that you found it encouraging and challenging. Please feel free to share this podcast with friends and family, and we will see you all next week.